Thank you for downloading and welcome to Take or Relieve, the emergency medicine podcast recorded at Dream, Queen's Medical Centre, Nottingham. This is The Wheezy Child, Episode 2, Viral-Induced Wheeze. As ever, all information is correct at the time of recording. Any guidelines mentioned are correct for Nottingham University Hospital's NHS Trust. Other trust guidelines may vary. All views and opinions are the speaker's own. Welcome back to uh, The Wheezy Child episode two. Uh, I am still Jamie and I am still one of the uh, teaching fellows in emergency medicine. Uh, so it's Dr Phil here, member at the ED Consultant is my Twitter handle. Colin here, one of the paediatric emergency medicine registered stars. Still not on Twitter. Still not on Twitter. But it will be by the time I finish this. Yeah, hopefully <laughs> by the third episode. So we're on to episode two. Um, I'm hoping this is uh, very much more Empire Strikes Back than Attack of the Clones. We will endeavour to uh, be a good sequel. Uh, and today we're going to discuss uh, the viral wheeze. Um, what is the viral wheeze, Phil? Um, I mean, really, before we start, am I allowed to admit that I've nicely seen Star Wars? You've not seen Star Wars? No. Any of them? No, I was a Star Trek man. Seven episodes and you've not seen one? Well, I think I saw three. That's probably why I don't like it, because I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Colin, have you seen Star Wars? Absolutely. I've got no idea what this gentleman next to me has been playing at. This is a... you're a consultant. You've not I seen mean, Star Wars. Hank's head in shame. And on that bombshell, um... Yeah. On to viral wheeze. Uh, gentlemen, what is a viral wheeze? So, uh, viral induced wheeze. Uh, there's two elements to this. Again, it's... Uh, uh, well, as the name suggests, a viral infection causes increased mucus production, uh, but unlike bronchiolitis, it also causes some uh, bronchoconstriction. Um, so therefore, it has an element of reversibility to it. Okay. And uh, what sort of age group of um, patients um, get viral induced wheeze, Colin? Um, so the, the group we're looking at here really is preschool children. Um, usually occurs kind of over the age of one until preschool. Um, most commonly we'd say kind of around the age of three. Okay. And um, how will these patients be presenting them? I'm, I'm guessing with a wheeze and the clues in the name, but, but how else will they, will they present? You see, Jamie, paediatrics is easy, isn't it? <laughs> so, yeah, so number one, wheeze. Number two, the parents or the caregiver will notice that the child has difficulty in breathing, increased work of breathing. They may notice that their chest has altered in its shape in terms of there's some intercostal recession, some subcostal recession, there may even be some tracheal tug. Um, it could be a bit more irritable than normal, particularly if they're sort of quite hypoxic. Um, they may have a cough um, and they often have runny noses. So there's a lot of chorizal symptoms. Okay. And um, is that with a sort of a viral prodrome or is it quite early on in the disease process it appears? Uh, so in terms of the, uh, you mean the wheeze or do you the, mean the, the wheeze? Okay. Yeah. So sometimes the wheeze can actually come as part of the viral prodrome before they even start to get coryza. Um, but more often than not they've had a cold, they've been unwell for 24, 48 hours and then they uh, push up to your emergency department because of their difficulty in breathing. Uh, so Colin, you're in PEDS, you're clerking this patient, uh, what are the, the key bits of the history you need to get? Um, so in terms of the history, I think it's always nice to see if there is a, a viral prodrome, which often there is, as uh, Phil said, cough cold one to two days and then they come in with increasing shortness of breath. Uh, the key things I want to know for the, this admission are um, what the parents have done so far, if they've done anything, 
in terms of treatment, um, how much they feel the work of breathing is increased. Um, I'd like to know what the observations are, so the saturations, the respiratory rate, and also the heart rate uh, to have a look at them. And then just have an idea about their background history. So has this happened before? And if it has, have they been to the children's intensive care unit, uh, which would obviously alert you that um, they could get very unwell uh, quickly and uh, you should probably um, be more careful with this group of patients, I would say. Okay, and, and when you're talking about uh, oxygen saturations, is there a magic number as there is with bronchiolitis? Um, so again, I'd say consult your local guidelines, but 94% um, and above would be reasonable. Some places would use 92%, um, but certainly if they're less than 92, you should probably be looking at uh, at least giving them some oxygen and then organising some uh, definitive treatment for them. And uh, I suppose when you when we talked about bronchiolitis, you said that you'd, you'd find crackles throughout the chest. I'm guessing when you listen to a patient with a viral induced wheeze, again, clues in the name, I'm guessing there's a wheeze. Absolutely there is. Um, and I think the vast majority of time that's what you'll find. It's worth noting um, that in children who are incredibly unwell due to the very poor air entry, there might be very little or no wheeze. And in this case, it's important to, to put everything else together. So if they've got very low saturations, uh, marked increased respiratory rate, um, but no wheeze, consider how much air entry there is. And if there's very little air entry, that's probably why they haven't got a wheeze. And actually this patient is incredibly sick. So similar really with asthma then? Absolutely. So I think whilst we differentiate the, the diagnosis between asthma and viral induced wheeze, um, the treatment uh, is very similar and the way they present is very similar. So I suppose um, behind this is obviously a, a virus causing this. Um, so we talked about RSV with uh, bronchitis. Is there any particular virus behind viral induced wheeze or is it a, a, a smorgasbord? Um, well, there certainly is a smorgasbord. I think RSV is a, another common virus that comes as the cold weather increases in this country and so can be a cause of all of these. Um, but there are a vast number of viruses out there that can cause this. Okay. Um, so, Phil, uh, you're a patient with a viral-induced wheeze. What is your management plan? So, in terms of management plan, um, it all depends on their oxygen saturations to start off with. So, if they're hovering around 94%, then I would plumb for using uh, an inhaler uh, and giving some salbutamol. I'd give 10 puffs. Um, and then reassess their response to therapy. Um, if they are less than 94%, but uh, above 92%, I'd be tempted to give them a salbutamol nebulizer. And if they're less than 92%, then I would go all out with the nebulizer and I'd give them back-to-back -back salbutamol and ipitropium nebulizers and then reassess. So by back-to-back, -back, I mean uh, giving three salbutamol and three ipitropium. In quick, in quick succession. So generally uh, the, the, the teaching that the nurses have uh, in this trust is that they should wait 20 minutes. In theory these nebulizers can be driven through uh, within 10 and so I would just say get it in back to back. Okay. And um, I suppose we, when we mentioned bronchiolitis you mentioned you wouldn't really hold off the investigations in the emergency department. Are there any investigations for viral induced wheeze you would want to get in in the emergency department? So again, there are no specific uh, investigations. Certainly I wouldn't be any rush to do any blood tests. What I tend to do with my poorly wheezy children 
is that if they're requiring back-to-back nebs, the uh, first port of call after the first nebulizer's uh, gone on is to put some emlo or amatol cream on their um, venipuncture sites because uh, we want to preempt that these children might then need to go on to have IV therapy potentially. And that cream is a, a numbing cream, is it? Well, essentially, so emla is a mixture of uh, local anaesthetics um, and the, the whole point is that it, it numbs the skin so that you can facilitate cannulation. Because what we don't really want to be doing with these kids is to um, be sticking needles into them and making them fearful of uh, healthcare professionals and developing a, a cohort of anxi- anxious children. I suppose it's uh, better to have the option and not need it than need it and not have the option. Indeed, yeah. Some child deteriorates. Mm-hmm. Um, and can these children deteriorate quickly? Absolutely, they can deteriorate uh, very quickly despite all the right things being done and that's where reassessment uh, is extremely important. So um, once you've seen them the first time and you've got the, the nebulizer started, if that's what they need or the inhalers, reassessment after this to ensure that they are improving uh, is vastly important. I think that's the beauty about paediatrics, isn't it, in that kids get sick quick but they get better quickly as well. Absolutely. So that's quite good. Um, just one other point about the salbutamol. Um, often when they're um, having low sats and they're moderately unwell they have a degree of auto peep so positive end expiratory pressure so what you often find is when you give the first round of nebulizers their sats actually get worse before they get better and the rationale behind that is because you're removing their auto peep that they're providing so if you see their sats suddenly drop okay be concerned but also having the back of your mind that this could just be part of the treatment process. Okay. Uh, so you've um, you've given back-to-back nebulizers. You're reassessing if the patient's still not uh, improving as you would hope. What's the next uh, line of therapy? So uh, the next line of therapy is to initially continue the, the uh, nebulizers back-to-back while you're preparing to cannulate the child uh, and give some uh, intravenous magnesium sulfate. And steroids have no role in the treatment of the viral induced wheeze. Um, I guess the um, that's absolutely true, and I think we've got good evidence that oral steroids, prednisolone, does not uh, make any difference to the to the outcome or length of stay of these children. Um, the only caveat is these children who end up on the intensive care unit uh, when they're extremely unwell often end up with steroids. But again, the evidence base for this uh, is not particularly good. But I suppose is there a role? Uh, if they so, are have severe atopy, so mum, dad, grandma, the cats, everyone's got eczema, hay fever, and asthma, where they're all on high dose therapy, and then the kid comes in with a bit of a viral induced wheeze. Do you think steroids is uh, relevant then? So, the uh, evidence again, uh, looking at a child that was done here uh, quite a few years ago now, um, showed a trend towards significance if there was a strong family history of ATP or the patient was strongly atopic. And again, that was just a trend towards significance from what I can remember. Um, so occasionally they are considered in those group. Uh, I would discuss that with your uh, paediatric colleagues upstairs uh, and see what they want to do. Uh, so you mentioned the next line of therapy is uh, magnesium. Um, I'm again similar, that's quite similar to, you know, to what we would use in asthma, I suppose. Is, is there also a, a similarly controversial evidence base for magnesium in viral induced wheeze as well? Yes. It works for some, for some it doesn't? Absolutely. So I think, you know, this is a drug that um, 
has kind of come into practice and our guidelines here is that it's the first IV line therapy used. Um, again, consult your local guidelines if you're not working in the Nottinghamshire Trust uh, as they vary significantly elsewhere. Um, yeah, there is limited evidence on, on its effectiveness and hopefully we'll get some in the next few years which will we'll be able to tell us. Uh, certainly I've seen it work excellently in some and not in others and uh, some of my paediatric intensive care colleagues absolutely love it and some of them don't think it works at all. So uh, you pay your money and you take your choice. But I think from an anecdotal point of view, I agree with Colin that often parents may come in and say, well, they get their back-to-back nebulizers, but only until they get their IV magnesium sulfate will they improve. And so really, you know, if, if the parents are well, well rehearsed in dealing with their child with violent juice wheeze and they tell you what works, I would heed that warning. Uh, and potentially you'd go for IV magnesium sulfate slightly earlier than otherwise you probably normally would in another child. Uh, magnesium, uh, patient still not improving, what's our next step? So I suppose if your uh, child is not improving, then the next step is to, if you're a junior, if you haven't already done so, is to get senior help. So really, I'd have expected you, if by the end of the back-to-back nebs, you're not happy, you would have come to get either myself or Colin. Uh, and then, uh, obviously, get your own registrar from your own trust, because unless you're going to pay us petrol... Um, <laughs> it's a bit of a long way as it's well. It's a bit of a long way. Um, so... <laughs> Um, so you, you've got your senior backup. Um, if you're thinking about going down the uh, further intravenous route, then you've got a choice of either intravenous salbutamol or intravenous aminophilin. And again, it all depends on your local protocol. And to a certain degree, it also depends on your experience. So some people have grown up using one drug more than another. Um, and so personal preference does kind of play a small part. Um, but really, if you're thinking about giving further intravenous therapy, then in terms of disposition, then your this child's going to either end up on a paediatric HDU or intensive care environment. They wouldn't be suitable for a ward environment, I would suggest. Um, I think unless they make a, a dramatic uh, recovery once you've given these medicines, um, that really they need some uh, close monitoring. Um, so a HDU setting would be would be preferable. Okay. And I suppose that's the, you know, similar that you mentioned earlier with when you're taking that initial history, has your has the child ever needed to go to HDU before, never needed ICU before as well, to have that lower threshold uh, yeah. to involve them earlier on as well? Correct, absolutely. Okay. Um, so that's... Uh, involved, so we're on to intravenous aminoff and theophylin. Is there anything after that? So I think... Um, the only thing I would say is that you can give an IV salbutamol bolus, and that's probably the only thing that actually has an evidence base behind it, actually. So the IV salbutamol bolus is probably effective in improving things. The infusions, uh, both uh, aminophilin um, and salbutamol, have a much more questionable evidence base behind them. Um, so yes, we do use them. Um, their effectiveness is difficult to know. And the other thing is that in terms of children, the, the dose uh, that's used is um, interesting compared to adult dosing. So certainly for salbutamol, uh, the doses we give to children are vastly higher per kilo than, than what you would get as an adult. Um, and given that there's marked effectiveness, it's important that once you're giving these drugs, that they are monitored closely, as we've said, um, either on a HDU 
environment for signs of deterioration or for complications, significant tachycardia and lactic acidosis from salbutamol. Um, and from that point of view, I think after that stage, once you've got them on IV therapy, um, you're really struggling and you're talking about non-invasive ventilation or invasive ventilation, both of which uh, are far from ideal in a, a patient with wheeze. Before we go any further, I should point out that you've never watched Star Wars, Phil, but I've noticed you've got an R2-D2 torch uh, on your lanyard. Did you, yeah. did you not know who that is when you bought it? Well, I didn't buy it. It was the uh, first prize in the Christmas Day raffle. So. Okay. Uh, and Colin has a Star Wars lanyard as I well. I do, Darth Vader. Geeks. <laughs> <laughs> please, so, please, no abuse on my Twitter handle, though. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um... So, this is, we've looked at the, you know, the, unfortunately those, those uh, children who uh, get more poorly and obviously will, will need high level of care, but hopefully the vast majority of our patients in A&E will get better. Um, then when you start thinking about sort of discharge planning, um, with, what is the discharge criteria for a patient with viral induced squeeze? So for those that have received salbutamol therapy, either in the form of an inhaler or a nebulizer, then the magic number this time is four. So you have to uh, be stretched out between um, four hours between having your next therapy. If there's any degree of respiratory distress, tachypnea, uh, signs of intercostal or subcostal recession, then this child will more likely to be admitted. Because as we know in the UK, four hours is your maximum time you're allowed in the emergency department. So unless your child has received an inhaler or nebulizer in the GP surgery and then has been transported to your hospital and when you initially assess are back to baseline, the chances of you discharging them from the ED are much smaller. Yeah, so I guess I'd just add no oxygen requirement, uh, which sounds like an obvious one. So the SATs are okay and they go four hours between uh, salbutamol inhalers and that's the point at which uh, they are suitable to be discharged. And uh, Colin, you wanted to mention about uh, parental education? Yeah, so I think whenever you are discharging these patients home, it's important to consider um, what parents might want to know. So they might want to know, is this going to happen again? Uh, what's the likelihood? Is my child going to develop asthma? And these are challenging and difficult questions to answer. And as well as that, you need to give some education to the parent to try and stop these episodes happening again. So in terms of will it happen again, well, about 60% of children will wheeze before the age of six. Some of that group will have uh, multiple episodes, some will have single episodes, um, and it's those ones who go on and still have wheezy episodes uh, once they enter school age who might well end up with a diagnosis of asthma. It's important to warn the parents that it might never happen again, it might happen again, they might grow out of it by the time they go to school, or they might continue to have symptoms and then it might well be that they get a diagnosis of asthma. More in that, it's important to tell parents that um, smoking around their child, even if they smoke outside and then come back inside, it's all over their clothes, it's all over their house, and these are things that can lead to increased in exacerbations of wheezy episodes and make their children much more unwell. So warning parents about this and to watch out for other things that might make their breathing worse, including allergies, whether that to be to grass, pollen, uh, or to cats or dogs, it's worth just keeping an eye on. And I think certainly from a, trying to get your uh, parents to quit smoking, I think if you often relate their bad habit to a, um, an illness, then often that is the impetus to get these people to quit smoking. 
if ever there was a good time to stop smoking it's when your child is unwell because of your smoking absolutely so Colin has started playing a video what is this video Colin? Um, so this is uh, a video that's been launched um, by Tapas Mukherjee who's one of the Leicester Respiratory Registrars for adults uh, his, uh, if you do hashtag inhaler blues or at 321tapas uh, then you'll be able to get some advice on how to use your inhaler and why it's so important. So there's a, a, a girl waving an inhaler in the air. Correct. And it's got a lovely catchy theme to This is an amazing, uh, this is great for podcast, this is. <laughs> So, um, uh, one of my favourite bits of, of house uh, is when uh, he's talking to a, a patient who says that um, her inhaler's not working for her, and he asks her to show him using the inhaler, and she uses it like a perfume, spritzes underneath her chin, and isn't it funny? Um, but I suppose it is important to teach our patients good inhaler technique and um, even so more so when they're children nice you know get it in nice and early so um, how do you go about doing that so uh, I tend to uh, defer this to my excellent nursing colleagues who are very good at demonstrating the technique to parents um, often though these uh, children that come in uh, their parents are well rehearsed with their child having voluntary squeeze and often it's really just watching them uh, give their child the inhaler therapy and to be fair the vast majority of parents are quite good with their technique um, but it's just always good to check up on that. Yeah I'd have to agree I think um, what we know is that um, everyone uh, when they're on a uh, medication for a long time uh, especially something like inhalers that their technique often gradually declines with time so it's worth always taking the opportunity to re-educate uh, and ensure that delivery of the medicines as good as it possibly. So what actually is the inhaler technique then, chaps? So essentially uh, you want to be giving 10 puffs of your drug. Uh, the best way to do it is using an aero chamber or similar device to help um, transmit the drug. So essentially you need to make sure that A, the uh, pump is primed, your subutamol pump, and you shake it and you depress it to see if there's a drug in there. Uh, you then assemble the apparatus you apply the mask to uh, the child's face and then you depress the salbutamol pump and then you count for 10 seconds and then you repeat that sequence up until the 10th 10th uh, puff um, and then that's when the technique finishes. Yeah, so I think uh, the only thing I'd say is that it's a mask for, for smaller children, i.e. the under fives and then over that uh, there's no mask that can obviously form a seal around the um, air a chamber uh, quite well so they won't need a mask that was take orally the wheezy child episode 2 viral induced wheeze you can find us on facebook and twitter where we'll put up links to guidelines mentioned and you can contact us to suggest topics you'd like to see covered in future episodes for more information on education and research opportunities within emergency medicine acute medicine and major trauma you can find NUH Dream on both facebook and twitter <laughs>